Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. There is nothing more joyful than seeing people entering into the kingdom of God and into his church. It's a great, great joy. We did not have a special day set apart to focus on the birth of Jesus until about the mid-300s. It was actually probably around 330s, somewhere in there. Before that, Jesus' birth was celebrated on January 6th, but not just his birth, it was sort of packed in with some other themes, his baptism, the Magi, the wedding at Cana. There were numerous themes, and his birth was just uh, there, a part of those other, those other themes. This may seem a little odd to us today, because we've been living for so many years, focusing 1,500 years or more, um, setting aside this special day to focus on his birth, especially aside from everything else. And our whole liturgical cycle, our whole liturgical year sort of hinges on these two aspects, his incarnation, the nativity, and his death uh, and resurrection. Now the church, the church is a living organism. It grows, it changes, it develops by the spirit who indwells her. The Spirit leads the church into all truth. The Spirit is perfecting the church and bringing the church to maturity. And the church has developed and grown in the world. And the church has needed to confront the darkness of the world with creativity. The church has needed to, being moved by the Spirit, creatively respond effectively to different challenges, distortions of the faith, trying to articulate the gospel message the revelation of who this Jesus Christ really is. And the church may choose at different times to emphasize some things, just like the Gospels do, to get a point across. They may downplay one thing and emphasize something else, depending on what particular challenges are going on. For example, I love to point out um, St. Joseph. You know, in the early days, St. Joseph didn't get quite as much attention as he does today. He gets a lot of attention today. He didn't get all that attention early on. Because perhaps as important as St. Joseph is, and he is very important, the early church was concerned about any confusion about who Jesus was and his divine virgin birth. And to give too much attention to St. Joseph could give fodder to the heretics who used his human birth to try and imply that he was not eternally God. And so the role of St. Joseph was sort of played down a little bit. But as soon as the dogma of who Christ is got securely established in the church, then St. Joseph and veneration to St. Joseph and his involvement in our lives could take on a great, uh, a great more importance for us. So when it comes also to this special day and a season to focus on the birth of Jesus Christ, among other reasons, it's likely that one of the reasons this was not done uh, for many years had to do with 
helping the world understand that he was the eternal God. The heretics, actually, as I did say, they did point to his human birth as one of their arguments that he was not divine, eternally divine. And so for a long time, his human birth was featured alongside his baptism. And we know from the story of the baptism, which we will focus on in a few weeks, in his baptism, his true identity is revealed in his baptism. The Father's voice and the Spirit descending, and behold, my Son in whom I am well pleased. His divine and eternal personhood is revealed in his baptism. So the church always presented his nativity, his birth, and his baptism together so that there was no confusion or mistake about who Jesus Christ really was. But again, as soon as the dogma of Christ was secure, the church was able to set apart a day, a special day, today. And this season, these 12 days of the nativity and the birth of the eternal Son of God. And this is a very good thing. This development, and it is a development, is of the Spirit, And it is a very, very good thing. Something for which we should be very grateful. We have something in our liturgical life that those living in 287 didn't have. We are blessed. This is a good, wonderful thing. The tension that I'm speaking of, of maintaining the unity of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, eternally divine, But now, in time, a human baby growing into a man, this tension, this difficulty, this cross for human thought, it is presented also in the three masses we have for Christmas, which I referred to last night. In these masses, we see the church in her wisdom showing us the central importance of rightly expressing the unity of Jesus Christ, both God and man. Last night's gospel told us of how this divine child was registered as a human being. He was registered as a human being. I didn't preach on the gospel much last night, but if you remember, that's what it was all about. It was very administrative, (laughs) humanly administrative. We heard about Caesar Augustus Serenius, who was the governor. I mean, who cares Serenius was the governor of Syria? But apparently, Luke, you know, it was important. It was important because he was making a point. This eternal God, the logos of God, was taxed. He was, he, was a, he was written down. He was registered as a human being. And Serenius happened to be the governor of Syria at the time. Last night, we were in a village. And there was an inn, and it was overcrowded, and there were census takers there scribbling on their scrolls, recording the existence of men, the existence of this one and that one. They recorded the existence of God himself as a human. We were surrounded by beasts in the stable and rustic shepherds. We witnessed the birth of a baby, a little baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths, put in a feed trough. But today, we go from that, from the humanity of God, and we are swept up in today's gospel lesson, which you are all extremely familiar with, and should be able to quote it by heart by now. We are swept up into the heavens, and we're given a different vantage of this newborn child. 
Last night, we were convinced that God had become a real human baby. Today, we are convinced that this baby is eternal. And until very recently, he was and still is the immaterial logos of God. We marvel at the virgin who is great with child. We adore the holy infant born in humility. We delight in these earthly and human events. But while we do, our gaze is drawn up and beyond this time and space to the Logos himself who is the eternal, ever-existing God and creator of all. We are reminded that while we cradle the infant Jesus in our arms, he is not just any baby. This one we hold and adore has no beginning and no end. Even though for a while, for a while his majesty will be hidden. Hidden. Now that's an interesting concept. Just as he is manifest upon the earth in the most visible and tangible way imaginable in, in flesh. Through this manifestation, he is actually hidden. And that's the irony. The immaterial God who cannot be seen has made himself known by becoming a man. In olden times, you know, he made himself known in fire and smoke and thunder and a burning bush. And he hid himself in the cleft of the rock. He hid himself behind a thick curtain. But now he comes. He pulls the curtain back. He becomes flesh and blood. Jesus of Nazareth, Mary's boy. He makes himself known, right? Really known. You can see him and hear him. And yet, while he makes himself so accessible, so vulnerable, in this very act, he becomes more hidden from mankind. His manifestation in flesh actually becomes a cloak. He takes form, and by so doing, he becomes, to many, imperceptible. Because this is a great scandal. This is a cross for human thought. God cannot become a man. John makes this point in his gospel. How the eternal word of God has come forth from the obscurity of his immaterial existence. And he becomes man. We can see him. We can touch him. We can hear him. We can observe his movements. We can see on his face a furrowed brow. A smile. Sorrow. Pain. Anticipation. He has taken into his eternal person a human body, a human nature, will, and energy. One would think that this would make him more easily knowable. And yet John says they did not know him. They did not recognize him. He preached. He did miracles. He revealed the glory of God again and again. And his very own people who had received his law did not recognize him. And furthermore, they rejected the light of the world. The fullness of time has come and the curtain's been pulled back. There's a grand reveal and the manifestation of God in the flesh. And yet he is not perceived by sinful man. The Logos came and he hid among us in flesh. The question for us today is how do we perceive and know and see this Jesus? Is he close to us? Is he close to us, as close as our breath, as close as our heartbeat? As St. Patrick says, is he all around? Is he above and below? Is he in front and behind? Is he to the right and to the left, within, without? 
Or is he still hidden from us in flesh, a historical figure, a first century Palestinian Jew of some reputation that we can read about? Or maybe he's not that, maybe he's some obscure and distant distant deity who, you know, when he went up, he shed his body and flew off to Xanadu or somewhere out there in another dimension. He's way far away. The gospel, our gospel, our faith, is a scandal. It is a scandal no less today than it was 2,000 years ago. It is still a cross for human thought. Just because we have all of our Christological data and dogma worked out and secure, you can come to catechism and we'll have about six classes overviewing all our Christological dogma. We got it nailed down. We believe this and we don't believe this. And if you've been through catechism a bunch of times, you know what I'm talking about. But just because we've got all that dogma worked out and secure, the challenge still remains for every one of us to know this Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. For us to boldly and courageously assert that in the middle of a cold night, the hot breath of beast moistened the flesh of a baby who was God himself. That we eat and drink his flesh and blood, the God-made man. That we kneel here in these pews every Saturday night after Vespers and we adore, we adore the sacrament of his body with our corporeal eyes. Jesus Christ is Lord. That is our faith. That is what we confess. That is what we believe. That is what shapes and determines how we live and who we are. This world, this creation, without Jesus, it is a delusional vagary. It's a mythic fantasy. It's not real without him. Literally. It's a vapor. It dissipates like the smoke. Some people think that Jesus is just some historical figure. Or maybe he's a myth. But he is God who was made a man. And this world and all it contains is nothing without him. It makes no sense without him. It is only because the eternal, uncreated, immaterial God stepped outside of himself and took form, made himself a part of this finite creation, made himself into a real, concrete, created form, a man. This is why everything else is real. Without this, nothing exists, nothing is real. This is why your life has any meaning at all. Without knowing this Jesus Christ, you and I have nothing. And this is what we celebrate. This is what we revel in on this great feast of the incarnation of the Logos of God. He took form and he will forever exist in this form that he took. He took a body. And now our lives must conform to his form. He gave us a body. He gave us a body to be made holy and to be made like his body. This is our hope and our joy. Christ is born. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.